I thought we'd lost the spider until Tyson heard a faint pinging sound. We made a few turns, backtracked a few times, and eventually found the spider banging its tiny head on a metal door. Welcome to Floor 600. This is a podcast for two friends, Natalie and Quinn. Read the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series by Rick Riordan. We are now reading The Battle of the Labyrinth, the fourth book in the series. And this episode, we read chapters 11 through 13. Huzzah. Uh-huh. So, Natalie, also... what did you think about these chapters? Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> I was just going to say, it's also Christmas Eve. It is Christmas Yay! Eve! Merry Christmas! Yeah! By the time they hear this, it'll be like a week after Christmas. I, I think it might be like New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's also the, I think it's the third day of Hanukkah, so, happy Hanukkah! Happy Hanukkah! Wait, how do you, I think, the Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> Merry Christmas and happy Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> and Merry Kwanzaa? Is that it? That hasn't started yet. No, it hasn't started? It starts on the 26th. Oh, okay. According well, to Google. <laughs> two days early, happy Kwanzaa. <laughs> and whatever else you're doing, if you're just sitting at home, enjoying the weather, <laughs> good for you too. Happy weather day. <laughs> That's, yeah. Happy weather day. <laughs> <laughs> New holiday. <laughs> Happy weather Some day. days I just sit inside and don't appreciate the weather. <gasps> How do you not appreciate the weather? I don't know. I woke up this morning and I thought Santa needed to, like, rehire Rudolph. It was, like, so much fog. So much fog. Because this is a very warm Christmas. It was very foggy this morning. It was, like, white. I thought it was snowing. I know. It was, like, freaky. Yeah, it was kind of strange. Because it wasn't, like, that gray fog. It was white fog. It was white fog. And, like, I think on the news they were like, yeah, don't go anywhere. (laughs) Wait a few hours. Yeah, I think I got up at, like, a little bit before 9. I yeah. was like, I woke up at, like, 7.30, and I was like, I can't see outside. <laughs> yeah. Ah. But, so this episode, we're talking about chapters 11 through 13, and Natalie, you already have some, like, thoughts on these chapters, <laughs> so I think we should talk about these thoughts before we even get into them. These chapters really annoyed me. <laughs> I don't know how much you want me to say before... I, I think that's good enough, just so you know, we know that we're going into this recap with oh. some negative vibes. <laughs> okay, there were parts that I really liked about this sh- these chapters and parts that I really didn't like. Yeah. I feel like that's with most things, but... Yeah, but normally, like, like in these books, there's not, uh, there's not things that I, like, strongly dislike. Mm-hmm. Normally, like, the good <laughs> over... What? Overbalances? Overcomes... Oh, the there's, good... There's more good than bad. Yes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. There's... I don't know. Um, yeah, so if you also have strong feelings about these chapters, send us your feelings <laughs> in an email form to floor600.podcast at gmail.com. That's all we have to say about that. Yeah. They can be rants, but... Try and, like, tone down the rantiness, because we're probably not going to read full-blown, like, a four-page rant on. (laughs) But, all right, so chapter 11. I set myself on fire. I gave that four stars. I also gave that four stars. Nice. Hurrah! High five. 
like this chapter. It makes me think of a different character that we have not met yet that's in the Heroes of Olympus. And I feel like this goes, this is in chapter title, that goes with <laughs> that character a lot more than Percy. I know who you're talking about, though. Yeah, this is like the opposite of Percy Jackson. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> All right, so we start off on a, on a high note here in these here chapters. These here chapters. The squad makes it to Festus's forges, thanks to Euridian Spider. Mm-hmm. And everyone except Tyson is really nervous to meet Hephaestus because they're like, are you ready? Grover is like, are you ready to meet Hephaestus? And Percy's like, no. And Tyson's like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> well, like, every time they meet a god, it's either, it's sort of like a mixed bag. They're like, either that god hates them immediately, yeah. or it's sort of like a malevolent fit, like conversation that hints on death at times. <laughs> Or, and then, like, also what we know from Hephaestus, uh, so far Percy has just really known Hephaestus from uh, his inventions. Yeah. So, like... And they saw him briefly at the... Yeah. Council. Yeah. But, like, all of the inventions that he's interacted with of Hephaestus have tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't really be going into this meeting... Um, with, like, good Positive vibes. vibes. Yeah. <laughs> I like it because Hephaestus is like, oh, well, I guess if I didn't destroy you at last year, I don't have to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I guess. But the his workshop is full of works in progress. There's, like, bronze automatons. I said that really weird. Bronze. Bronze automatons of animals. There's, like, mortal cars, a chariot made purely out of fire, and Hephaestus is currently working on a 1998 Toyota Corolla. Okay, I just looked up what the 1998 Toyota Corolla looks like, and it looks just like you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it is a boxy little car that's, like, straight from the 90s. Yeah, super cheap looking, like, looks like it, it could take, like, a punch and it would just destroy the whole thing. Yeah, yes. Like, one well, solid hit with a baseball bat, and it would be done. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like it would keep going. I feel like it looks like it would keep going no matter what, but it would look terrible by the end of the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, what is the significance of the Toyota Corolla? That's what I want to know. I don't know. All right, like, um... Like, he, Rick could have chosen any car. And I, it's not like we know anything about cars, so... <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you think it's, like, an Easter egg for his personal enjoyment? Yeah, maybe he drove a Toyota Corolla in 1998 when it was brand spanking new. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Kelly now he's Blue like, aww. Oh, it has 120 horsepower. Uh, oh, boy. 26 MPG miles per gallon. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Near me. Oh, I could get one for... $1,700. Ooh, that's in my budget. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only 37 miles away. Oh, no none, no Kelly Blue Book experts have reviewed this car. Oh, jeez. Come on, it's been out for a very long time. You should have reviewed this car right away. Okay, so Hephaestus is dressed like a mechanic, and he has, like, gray coveralls on, and his name is stitched over the pocket. <laughs> That's a long name on a yeah, It is. I feel like this long. I feel like it's like Hef Fitz and then it's just sort of like someone wrote in Sharpie the rest of it. <laughs> a Titus? Yeah. Or a, a, not 
His name is not on the title. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) So Percy is struck by Hephaestus' appearance because when he saw him on Olympus last year, he wasn't, like, as hideous looking. Well, because he cleaned himself up. He was going to a nice meeting of the gods. (laughs) Yeah, he's not going to show up in his work clothes. Come on, Percy. He, Hephaestus is wearing a metal brace, his head on his leg, a metal brace on his leg. Mm-hmm. His head is misshapen, and one shoulder sits higher than the other. <laughs> so he also wears a permanent scowl, which never helps anyone look attractive. No. Sort of like unevens your face a little bit. And you just look angry. All the time. And Festus asks, I didn't make you, did I? <laughs> <laughs> and I love it because he's just like, uh, shoddy work. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like he just insulted all their parents. Oh, they did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and half of them are related to him, so. <laughs> nice. Burn. <laughs> but he looks sort of happy when he sees Tyson. Yeah, he works with Cyclops on a daily basis, I would think, because that's who works in yeah. most of the forges of the gods, or Cyclops, or Cyclopes. Cyclopes. That's a weird, I don't know, I don't yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's excited to see Tyson, and Tyson's sort of, like, excited, but I don't know if he's... I feel like he's trying to tone down his excitement because he was so excited to see meet Briares. And was so just, like, crushed. Yeah. So he's sort of just, like, sort of tentatively, like, are you going to live up to my hero status in my brain, or... Yeah, poor guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Hephaestus is, like, basically, what are you guys doing here? Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't immediately threaten to kick them out, either. There you so go. There you go. <laughs> and Annabeth tells him that they are there for, um... Oh, I wrote that weird. <laughs> but they're trying to find Daedalus, and that everybody keeps telling him them that Hephaestus might know where Daedalus is. Yes. And Daedalus, or Hephaestus just immediately gets angry. <laughs> He's like, you're wasting your time. But then he turns to Tyson and says, I sense you have something to tell me, Cyclops. And Tyson tells him about Briaries and the other hundred-handed ones. And Hephaestus just kind of goes off. <laughs> He's like, yeah. you can't trust anyone. You can't trust family. Just look at Hera. She talks about the perfect family, and yet she yeeted me off the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, he says, believe me, young Cyclops, Hephaestus said. You can't trust others. All you can trust is the work of your own hands. That's, like, so... Sad? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like... Not the advice that Tyson's looking for. No. That's not the advice anyone should really be looking for. And it sort of just shows how yeah. terrible Hephaestus has been treated by his family. I mean, his mother literally threw him off Mount Olympus. Yeah, yeah. And Zo- Percy And his like, wife has just constantly cheated on him. Yeah. With his brother. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into it later. But, yeah. <laughs> but Percy's like, I thought... Zeus threw you off the mountain, and Hephaestus is like, oh yeah, Hera would tell you that. Of course she would. She's got to maintain her image of the perfect family. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> a lot. A lot. <laughs> and they're not people. They're gods. Yeah. 
But Hephaestus is, like, very intuitive. Like, he, like, senses things, I guess. And he senses that Percy doesn't like him because of... Well, also, I don't know if Percy's very good at hiding his thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True. And, um... Hephaestus is like, this one doesn't like me. And Percy's like, nope. <laughs> because the faulty Talos killed Bianca. Yeah. But and it's not also, Hephaestus's fault, really. Well, it was the guard of his junkyard. Yeah. yeah. But so if it they technic- hadn't taken stuff. Yeah. It's a complicated <laughs> whose fault is it. And really, it's... I don't know if you could really put any blame on it because it was just... Or if you could, it's Bianca's fault. She did pick up the myth of magic. She's figure. the one who picked up the thing. But then, if she didn't pick it up, or like she wouldn't have picked it up if Nico had played myth myth magic, and myth or Nico wouldn't have played myth magic if some <laughs> whoever hadn't introduced it. So it's whoever but introduced Nico to myth magic. She fault. also wouldn't have picked it up for him if she didn't feel guilty about abandoning him to That's join the hunters. True. That's true. So it's Bianca's fault. <laughs> <laughs> she ignored the very clear instructions from Aphrodite not to touch anything. Or is it back to Hephaestus's fault for putting that sort of, if you pick something up, you're going to die curse well, over there? it's his stuff. That's true. But is it, it's his garbage. <laughs> <laughs> he probably like goes there when he needs parts and stuff. Oh, maybe. he like, It's like the scrapyard type yeah. thing. I can see that. <laughs> Scrapyards are fun. <laughs> as long as you don't get killed by a giant automaton. Yes. It's always a, <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah. Always the risk you, you take when you go to a junkyard. <laughs> Percy is like, look, we have to find Daedalus because of all of these very important reasons, which we all know already. So there's no point in going back over them. And Hephaestus insists that looking for Daedalus is a waste of time. Yeah. And Annabeth is like, look, we have to find him. Just help us. And Hephaestus says that he will help them if they do him a favor. Mm -hmm. And without even knowing what it is, Annabeth is like, we'll do it. (laughs) Find out the favor first. Yeah. I remember that was a lesson in, like, first grade. My (laughs) teacher had us, like, all right, everybody, raise your hands. I need a volunteer. Everybody raise their hands. And she's like, all right, I'm going to pick you. You need to clean your toilet. You need to, it's, and we all, everyone went, ah, no, and she's just like, you find out what you're volunteering for before you really? volunteer. Yeah. That's hilarious. She made it a really big deal. I don't remember if it was first or second grade, but. That's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then later in high school, nobody wants to volunteer for anything. No, because this, vo- this lesson has been cemented <laughs> <laughs> in our brains. Yeah. So I don't think the person who volunteered actually had to clean the toilet. I doubt it. No. <laughs> Annabeth is a little rash sometimes, but she also, I feel like at this point she's just desperate. Yeah. So Hephaestus tells them that the task is sneaking into his forge at Mount St. Helens and finding out what creatures are there using his forge in secret. Because he wants to know. Because something is using his forge, but every time he goes there, they... They clean up and they disappear. They sense him coming. But he can tell that someone's been there. Right. And the monster Typhon was also in prison under this Mount St. Helens. Yeah. And Hephaestus wants to know if whoever is using the forge wants to awaken Typhon. Mm -hmm. He's like, that would be 
capital V, capital B, very bad. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, however, will we get there? He's like, take the spiders. So they follow the spider back into the labyrinth. Follow the spiders. (laughs) How does that have to follow the spiders? (laughs) What can it be? Follow the butterflies. (laughs) So (laughs) they haven't made it very far into the labyrinth when Grover just stops dead and is staring down this hallway that's dug out of dirt and is, like, wrapped in tree roots and stuff. And he, they, like, can't drag him away. He's like, this is the way to pan. Yeah. And they're like, Grover, come on! We got something else to be doing right now. And Grover's like, no, we have to, I I can't ignore this opportunity. This pan is here. Yeah. He's here! And like, this is the tunnel that, like, if I go on this, like, this is a, this will help my quest. Mm-hmm. That will help your quest. And I think Percy sort of understands that pretty quickly. Like, no, this is Grover's yeah. thing. Like, he's been, like, he, he needs to find Pan. Um, Annabeth, on the other hand, I don't think has fully thought about Grover and his quest. Especially, like, we talked a little bit about this when she first chose Grover as, Grover, Tyson, and Percy as her right. um, people to go on the quest with. And I think it's just, she doesn't realize that there are two quests going on here. Yeah, and she's very, like, dead focused on the, on her quest. Mm-hmm. And she she has issues, I think, thinking of other people. At least in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, look at why. Like, it's understandable. Oh, yeah, it's totally understandable. Percy suggests that they split up, which Annabeth does not like at all. She's no. like, no, 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 this is a very bad idea, and... Grover and Tyson do it anyway, so Grover and Tyson follow the path to Pan, and Annabeth and Percy keep going toward the forge. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Thing number one, I feel like I'm, like, really loud right now. (laughs) Thing number one that infuriated me about these chapters begins now. Okay. So... Hephaestus just happens to mention that it's a shame that Athena never married. Yes. Because she's pretty and smart. Yes. And for some reason, Percy takes issue with this, and as they're running toward the forge, he's like, what did Hephaestus mean? Your mom never married. What do you mean takes issue? I think he's just curious. Why doesn't he already know? I, because he's an idiot. This is book four in Rick. He doesn't book. read anything. Like, he doesn't... He's in this world of mytho- mythologi- mythological creatures and gods and monsters, and he has done zero research. <laughs> he has not read one, like, not even, like, a children's book that yeah. outlines the, like, power of the gods. Or, you know, like, Google? No. He doesn't do it. He comes into every situation a blank slate. And it's getting a bit annoying. It's super irritating. It's book four. Get your stuff together. You know what the problem is with this? Rick has to explain these things somehow. Yes. Usually, books like this shove that responsibility of being stupid onto a side character. Mm -hmm. Or, like, not the main character. Exhibit A, Ronald Weasley. Yes. Is stupid AF because <laughs> she has to have someone to ask questions. Yeah. But in this universe, 
Annabeth knows everything, Percy knows nothing. So then it gives us the laborious read of Percy being freaking dumb and having to ask questions about everything that we've already known since, you know, the lightning thief. Yeah. And like, I don't know, maybe I'm I'm overestimating the, uh, <laughs> the ability of, you know, well, 12 think, year olds to Google, but 12 year olds have cell phones. Yes, but <laughs> I do like the way that they have, because he, he, uh, Annabeth, after Percy asks about, all right, what do you mean your mom never married? She's like, well, my mom's a virgin goddess. She doesn't, whatever, like she, she was born through Zeus's brain. She, or whatever thought popped into Zeus's head, he, she was born from that. Um, and then all of her children are born also through wonderful conversations. Imagine that. You have a good conversation <laughs> with a random lady at a bar, and then nine months later, here's a baby. What? We didn't do anything. <laughs> I wonder if that means that a child of Athena could have two moms. I don't know. Probably. It, if it's just a, a good conversation... I could see that. Yeah. I, yeah. And then it's like, it's like nine months late. Like, okay, never mind. That just got really complicated in my head. <laughs> I was going to like launch into this whole scenario, but I won't. <laughs> well, I think it would be more confusing for that kid to then arrive at Camp Half-Blood and then being, then being like, all right, so do you have a mom or a dad at home? <laughs> oh, well, I have a mom at home. Okay, well, so that narrows it down to all of the gods. And then... <laughs> Then he, the, then the, the child gets claimed by Athena and everyone goes, wait a what? second. <laughs> How is this possible? And then it's a weird phone call to mom at home being like, so mom. <laughs> mom, who's my other mom? <laughs> well, the gods and goddesses are known for their fluid sexuality. They so are. Wouldn't put it past it's great. <laughs> yeah, but it's so stupid that, ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. It's just, it, it's going to have to happen every once in a while that Percy is, forgive my language, a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> yup. Anyway, they keep running until they reach the forge under Mount St. Helens. It's hotter in here than Triple G Ranch. Which because... just means it's hotter than Texas. And it's probably more humid than Texas. No, it's probably dry heat. Would it be dry heat or humid heat? It's a volcano. I don't know what that would be. I feel like there's got to be water in there somewhere. It's probably not that dry. But there is a network of bridges spanning a lake of lava, and they all meet at this giant platform where there's, like, Hephaestus's forging tools Mm. on there. And there's strange creatures wandering around everywhere just, like, doing things. And they can't tell what these creatures are. So Annabeth is like, okay, I'll I'll go invisible, and I'll just sneak up there and see, like, what these creatures are. I feel also like this is a bad plan on Annabeth because she knows Percy and she knows that Percy doesn't like being out of the picture. She needs to explain more of that plan. Percy also can't turn invisible. I know, but she should have been like, all right, and then when, if I need you, I'll give you this signal. If I don't need you, I won't give you a signal. And like, she should have like laid some ground rules. Maybe Percy could have just not been annoying and just waited that's true. For Annabeth to come back, like, two minutes later. Yeah. But no. Does he do that? Of course he doesn't. Because he can't leave anything alone. No. So there's, like, a giant cart. And he starts hearing these creatures moving. And he, like, looks in the cart. 
and it's full of scrap metal. And he's like, weird. And so <laughs> these creatures that are on the other side of the cart are like, okay, let's take the cart in. And he, he has no other hiding spots but the cart itself. Right. So he like scrambles in there and gets wheeled into a room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can hear like it's like a classroom. And the teacher is talking to a bunch of baby of these monsters. And he's like, all right, creatures, what are is our real name? No, now younglings. They call now them younglings. younglings. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is the name of our, the real name of our kind? And they're like, Siri Damon. <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> and they're like, tell Keens. Tell Kines? Telekahines? Sure. So basically they are seals mixed with dogs mixed with humans. Yeah. That. <laughs> Which is just absolutely horrifying. Yeah. And they're being like taught to hate the gods and like and, eat humans. Mm -hmm. And in turn demigods. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like basically any creature... But I love it. It's basically sex ed for sea demons. Yeah, it's They're really watching, weird. like, a weird video, and what does it say? It's like, as a young sea demon matures, changes happen in the monster's body. You may notice your fangs getting longer, and you may have a sudden desire to devour human beings. These changes are perfectly normal and happen to all young monsters. Thank you. Tyson needs this video. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Aww, not. Tyson. Tyson needs this video and then someone else next to him and then be like, yes, you're going to have these urges. Now control them. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think Annabeth, or, uh, Tyson is going to eat any demigods. <laughs> Definitely not Annabeth. So they're like, the teacher's like, all right, now take a piece of scrap metal and see what you can make with it. And so right before the younglings get into the cart, Percy, like, jumps up, he pulls his sword, he yells a witty one-liner, one disintegrates the front row He's of like full of witty one-liners one Yeah, episode. And he, like, runs away. <laughs> so, he, like, finds Annabeth and is like, hey, we're gonna have company real soon. And she's like, what did you do now? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> He's like, just turn invisible and run away. And then, like, I'll distract them. And for whatever reason, she listens to him. But before she goes, she gives them a little kiss. Yeah, she kisses him. Yes. On the mouth. On the mouth. Annabeth glared at me like she was going to punch me. And then she did something that surprised me even more. <gasps> she kissed me. <gasps> what? Be careful, seaweed brain. She put on her hat and vanished. <laughs> <laughs> And he's just, like, shocked. He's yeah. Like, could have sat there the whole day, but no time for that because he's going to get eaten by sea demons. Telekahines. So he runs onto the platform. For some reason, he thinks that's a good place to escape. Yeah. And is cornered by four full-grown sea demons. And they're all like, ooh, a son of Poseidon, we shall destroy you. <laughs> And they started throwing lava at him. Why not? But I like. But he's magically fireproof, or a limited amount. Like he he is an at 
an unknown amount of fireproof. Because of the water inside him. Yeah. Because humans are, <laughs> what is it, 90% water? Yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah, I thought it was like 70% water. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Shocker, he's in pain. So he has to like summon the water from within him. Yeah. To like extinguish the fire <laughs> that's on him. Mm-hmm. And it gets so out of control. Because he also wants to get out of the volcano. So he's just like, oh, I'll channel all of this power and sort of, like, make it a pressurized poof. and Fountain. Fountain and, like, I don't know, like, swoosh himself out of the volcano. Yes, swoosh himself. With the water. So he does that, but it gets out of control and it gets huge and it whoosh. And he goes up. He he whooshes out of the volcano, but... He also, um loses consciousness on his way down. Yeah, because you're, you're very high up. <laughs> yeah, and it, there's, like, steam and hot water and there's lava and just... Whoosh. And I wrote that I hate the, this chapter, but I don't actually hate this whole chapter. I just think that he is extremely annoying. And if he had just listened to Annabeth, he constantly is, like, trying to, like question Annabeth's plans. Sorry. That's my water bottle hitting my chair. (laughs) And it just irritates me so much. And if he had just been still for two minutes, they could have figured out the creature's names and then gone back to Hephaestus. Yep. And it's just like, Annabeth has her flaws in this chapter, um, but Percy has more. Mm -hmm. Percy has a lot more. He just, he, he has zero patience. He can't. I don't know, control his power. He can't, he literally cannot control himself. True. (laughs) Uh, And though Annabeth has issues like sort of thinking of other people's wants and needs, Percy has issues of controlling himself. Yep. Which is sort of more important at times. (laughs) She's thinking about the quest. He's thinking about like, oh, I can figure it out too. Yeah. And it's like, can you just take a back seat for once? Mm-hmm. Anna- Annabeth <laughs> is leading this quest. Let her lead this quest. Yeah. That brings us to chapter 12. I take a permanent vacation. I gave it three stars. I gave it two and a half. I could come down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should, you should see the notes for this chapter. It's only one paragraph. And it's a very angry paragraph. <laughs> Okay, well, for one, how could he take a vacation? Vacations aren't permanent. After a certain time, it just becomes how you live. Yeah. It becomes <laughs> you've been fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had a lot of anger about this chapter. Yeah? I, I don't know. Okay, so in this chapter, this is the chapter where... Percy meets Calypso. She he lands after getting flo- he after whooshed out of the after whooshing out of the volcano after after whooshing out of Mount St Helens. He lands on what? How do you say it? O- Ogigia. Ogigia. Fun. Calypso's island. Um. And Calypso like, like nurses him back to health. It's an island paradise. It's beautiful and calypso is beautiful and he's just like wow calypso you're great 
And he never says that he has feelings for her, but he definitely has some kind of feelings for her. He just, like, yeah. watches her all the time. It's sort of creepy. Yeah. Like, he's just like, oh, I'm staring at this, I'm staring at this tree that's right next to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> and she just, like, walks around, like, gardens and stuff and, like, takes care of Percy and, like, gives him nectar and... They, like, start becoming friends, and then he senses that she's pulling away. Though, I do think that she starts out having a lot more feelings for him than she should. Yeah, it's, like, unhealthy. It's very unhealthy. Like, as soon as she sees him, oh, I'll nurse him back to life. I love him. Yeah, Uh, like, what? Like, when he first, like, gets conscious, she walks up to him and they're, like, just having a normal conversation and she just, like, gets really close and starts, like, fixing his hair. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) this guy is learning your name. Like, (laughs) you need to, like, back off a little bit. Like, show some, like, self-control a little bit. Maybe it's because, like, maybe she doesn't, like, time doesn't go, like, flow on her island the way it does everywhere else. So to her, she's, like, a million years old in one day could be, mm-hmm. you know. Or maybe it's because, because she doesn't get many visitors. But I would feel like, given that she's cursed to constantly get, like... Fall in love with whoever visits her island. That she would not do it, but maybe yeah. she just can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's part of the curse. Mm-hmm. It's like Aphrodite was like, you shall fall in love constantly and constantly have people leaving you. I feel like... Maybe Aphrodite does that on purpose. Like, she finds people that she knows that Calypso will fall in love with. Like, oh, this guy's your type? I'm sending him to you. Calypso says that she does, like... I think she has a type. Yeah. Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) That Aphrodite, like, randomly finds men that she knows Calypso will like and, like, sends them to her. And then only to have them leave again. Because we kind of skipped, like, the main thing that... Calypso is a daughter of Atlas. Yeah. And she supported Atlas in the first war of the gods against the Titans. Mm-hmm. But she also, like, explains why she supported her supported Atlas and the Titans. And it's more just because, like, they're my family. Like, why do you support the gods? The gods don't do all, everything, and everything that they do is, isn't right. good. Everything that the Titans do wasn't good. Yeah. But they were my family. And, like, how did, you know, what does she know? Yeah. When she was just a girl. Because she was probably really only, like, 15 at that time. Well, yeah. And also, I think God ages-wise is very different. Like, yeah, yeah, they might be 150 years old, but in God years, they're like, oh, it's an infant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Baby Yoda. <laughs> Yeah, so Percy is on Calypso's island of Gigia, just, like, resting. He's real messed up because of flying out of the Vulcano. Vulcano? Um, (laughs) They start catching feelings for each other, and eventually he realizes that, like, he is going to have to make a decision about whether to stay with Calypso forever or to go home. And, like, is this really a choice? Like... Rick presents it as, like, as if it's a hard choice. Like, it should be a hard choice, but it's not hard for him. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. This whole chapter just feels completely pointless. And it doesn't help... Like, I feel like if this was a chapter that was at the end of a book, it would be a lot more like, oh my god, this is a lot... high, High stakes, there's not many pages left. 
is he going happen? to stay? Is this like the weird ending of this series? He's just going to stay and then next book we're just going to be following a morning Annabeth. Yeah. <laughs> sort of just trying to keep shit together. Right. Um. <laughs> like you can't make... Like, I don't know, it just, like, what is the point of this? What is the point of pulling us so hard out of the quest and landing Percy on this paradise island and then just being like, will he stay? Will he go? Of course he's gonna go. What else is gonna happen? I keep hitting that thing. Uh, It's just, like, I feel like this is just, like, a decision that he has to make. It's, like, all right... He's already been sort of forced to make this decision over and over again. Like, all right, are you going to protect the gods? Are you going to side with Luke? Are you going to fight in this war? Are you going to stay with Calypso and run away? Are you going to choose Annabeth? Are you going to choose Calypso? Are you going to save the world? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And really, if you put all of the things that he needs to go back to Earth for... Um, against Calypso. There's no contest. There's really no contest. And it's so annoying because he doesn't even know what's going on. He's 15. He's Mm -mm. more worried about saving the world than kissing girls. Yeah. And And I think this chapter is the first really appearance of him thinking about girls and being like, wait, I I can, I (laughs) have, I have options. Like, yeah. And I just, I just really don't understand this. I don't know. What is the point of this chapter? I, like, uh, Aphrodite is making true on her promise to make his love life hard? Yeah. Yes. That's it. That's the whole point of this chapter. I think so. Uh, I, uh, I remember when I read these the first time, I was like, who cares about this i remember this, this chapter matter. took me a really long time the first time i read this because it's, yeah. it really is it comes out from nowhere it's just yeah i skimmed like the whole thing because i was like this is stupid i i do have things to talk about in this chapter just because what yeah. calypso <laughs> is basically a disney princess yeah <laughs> she has invisible servants at a la the original beauty and the beast uh, recommend watching the weird black and white French Beauty and the Beast. It's really weird, like the way that they do the candle movements. It's a uh, it's a really cool looking film. But <laughs> but there's like invisible servants, and then she talks to animals. She literally will just like She's put so out her light. arms, and <laughs> birds will flock to her. <laughs> She's a version of Snow White that never gets her man. She's just really into gardening, and I love that she has this literally glowing plant. Yeah. That just sounds amazing. <laughs> and Percy's just like, what does it do? And she's just like, does it have to do anything? It's a plant. It grows. It brings beauty. But honestly, it does do stuff. It glows. <laughs> it glows. It's a light source. <laughs> it provides light. That's what it does. <laughs> Hephaestus eventually comes to Ogygia. Yeah. And has this nice little rant about how useless Calypso's servants are and how she needs automated ones Mm -hmm. because they never spill anything. I don't think they would spill stuff still. (laughs) 
Yeah, she's like, they never, they're never defective. I'm like, um, <laughs> yes, they are. It's a list of defective inventions. Yeah. <laughs> but he kind of goes on about how you can't trust love, which I take as more evidence of a spat with Uridian. Or, you know, a very famous spat with his wife, Aphrodite, the goddess of love. It's just all piles on top of each other, you know? Because he is truly in love with Uridian. You never know. <laughs> It's all of it. This is all just adds up. He's we don't know why Uridian is immortal, maybe. Maybe he's immortal because Hephaestus keeps visiting. <laughs> Ares offered him immortality, and he was like... Randomly, mm. maybe it was because Ares was like, oh, maybe if we have Hephaestus's lover around all of the time, <laughs> Ares and Aphrodite can get away with more stuff. <laughs> There's there a lot go. of stuff to back up your shipping <laughs> of these two. <laughs> or was it Ares or your Hephaestus who offered him immortality? I think it's Ares. Yeah, it was Ares who offered him immortality and your Hephaestus who gave him the necklace to find his way back to the forges. Which, anyway. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but now he doesn't have the necklace. He can never return to his lover. No. <laughs> Hephaestus will find him. It's fine. <laughs> You, you know, there is, like, actual stories about Greeks taking lovers of the oh, same yeah. gender. Yes, so. uh, and I, we have talked about it before. Exactly. Hercules, all of the time. <laughs> all of the time. <laughs> and others. But anyway, Many. that's a long story. <laughs> um, yeah, Hef is like, you, you know... It wasn't really the string that helped Theseus find his way through the labyrinth. It was the love of a mortal girl, Ariadne, blah, blah, blah. And Percy's like, <gasps> like this mortal girl can see some stuff that other people can't. Wink, 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 wink. I know a girl like that. My mom. <laughs> and another one. <laughs> And why couldn't they have just had this conversation at the workshop? Because. Anything else you want to touch on? Hephaestus wanted some, wanted to get uh, his people, or get some bad guys out of his mountain, but didn't want to do that. Tell information before he knew that, I don't know. I don't know! (laughs) Okay. Any more to talk about? For chapter 12. Hephaestus is like... I like your last note in that chapter, in the, in the notes. <laughs> Hephaestus is like, you did a real good job pleading the favor. Thanks. <laughs> basically. So they First basically <laughs> make a friend out of Hephaestus, which is good. Yes. And, yeah. Hephaestus is like, you have to decide, but wait until daybreak, because daybreak's a good time for decisions. And Percy, like, wanders around thinking about it. I'm like, oh no, I wonder what he's gonna do. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. He decides to return. Yes. So Calypso calls her magic raft and he sails on the magic raft across the magic lake back to Camp Half-Blood because he needs comfort and friendship. And that, my friends, is when I put, well, bully for you, Percy Jackson. (laughs) Good for you. You abandoned your friends for two weeks on an island. Mm-hmm. Had to decide whether or not you were going to return to them. And then People he's like, think I need you're dead. Friendship. Good for you, bro. Your friends needed to know that you weren't dead. 
Although Hephaestus doesn't know what happened to Grover and Tyson. Yeah. He's heard no word from them yet. Yeah. So not looking too good. And doesn't Percy say that he tried to send some like whatever empathy link connection. connection out to Grover? No, yeah. No luck. I wonder if that's because of the island's magic or because he's not in empathy link range or <laughs> whatever. I think it's because of the island. Okay. But yeah, so now on to chapter 13. We hire a new guide. Trace Starrows. Oh, I also gave them Trace Starrows. <laughs> and when I say Trace, I mean three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the word for star is in Spanish. It's probably like a toile, something like that, because that's the French word for it. I guess I have Google right in front of my face. Star in Spanish is... I have no idea. It's not like I took like, I don't know how many years of Spanish. I did not take any. I took what? Two in high school. But I, Estrella. I feel like I knew that. Estrella. Trace Estrella. (laughs) I feel like we have to conjugate that in some way, but because I I sucked at Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't speak English. How do you expect me to speak another language? (laughs) Especially when they, like, marked you down for spelling. What? What? (laughs) <laughs> you can't spell in English. I can't. I literally can't. And then they would mark down an English spelling, and I was like, <laughs> see? <laughs> Show this to my Spanish teacher. <laughs> Okie dokie. Chapter 13. I don't know why I started to say trace again. <sighs> All right. So, we're entering. The, so, Percy takes the Calypso's magic raft all the way from somehow Calypso's little, like, weird lake pond thing to Camp Half-Blood by magic. Yes. Um, hurrah. I can accept that. Yeah. What I cannot accept is a couple of friendly great white sharks helping pull a raft up to the shore. I don't know. I, I do not know the location that great white sharks live. Um. Well, no. They live because Jaws is on the New York whatever is in New Jersey. So great white sharks. That's are... a fake movie. It's based off of a 1920s shark attack. But, like, they can weigh from 1,500 to 2,400 pounds and be up to 21 feet long. So how close do you think they can get to the shore? Uh, Close enough for shark attacks to be a thing. I guess. I don't know. I just thought it was dumb. But maybe I was just really irritated by this point and just was picking up everything. Though, okay, so Great White Shark spotted in Long Island for the first time ever. And that was May 21st, 2019. That's a big, scary-looking shark. Exactly! (laughs) They're huge and terrifying. I don't know. It just irritated me. But yes, Great Whites inhabit that area, and I don't think it would be un- believable for sharks to go there especially since it was there in may of 2019 that was this year (laughs) (laughs) or when this episode is released last year (laughs) ow 
Uh, anyway, so the whole camp seems deserted. Surprise, surprise. But Percy notices some smoke rising from the amphitheater. So he runs over there. He finds the whole camp gathered there, and Annabeth is in the middle with Chiron. How did Annabeth get there? I don't know. She was like, because I know the labyrinth helped me get back to Camp Half Blood. I guess. And Annabeth is in the middle with Chiron, burning a long green, grayish green cloth with a trident on it. Percy's burial shroud. So yeah, I have a lot of questions about this. Okay. Did Annabeth ask Hephaestus to help her get back to camp? I don't know. So that she could take time away from the quest and... Maybe she was chilling at Hephaestus's forge, mourning the supposed loss of Percy. And then when Hephaestus goes back to Calypso's, uh, goes to Calypso's island to talk to Percy and he finds out if Percy is coming back or not... He's just, he goes back to the forge and he's just like, Annabeth, I think it's time. You need to go to Camp Half-Blood, burn his shroud. If nothing happens by tomorrow, he's gone. Type thing. So you think Hephaestus was like, shoo shoo, yeah. Half-Blood? Yeah. Get out of my workspace, please. <laughs> go home. Like, whatever. She's just like sitting on a, on a stool by the bench eating sandwiches, waiting. Like, yeah. Like, will he come today? And Hephaestus is like, all right, if he doesn't come home by tomorrow, burn his shroud. Go home. Like, yeah, it's just so annoying. Like, this whole part, like, I felt so pulled out of the story. It is weird because norm- we've never gone back to Camp Half-Blood mid-story before. And they're so chill about it. They're yeah, they like- really are. Oh, it's been two weeks since you blew yourself out of the volcano. Well, I don't think Annabeth is so chill because she literally just starts screaming at him. Well, if I were Percy, I would have been like, instead of like, I need comfort and friendship, I would have been like, how do I get back onto this quest that is extremely time sensitive and may or may not end in the complete destruction of my only favorite place on Earth. And then from there on, everything else. (laughs) Yeah, and instead he's just like, Sailing across the magic lake on the magic raft. Maybe that's like the island that maybe that's the magic of Ojigia. 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 Maybe that's the magic of Ojigia that they make him forget about the major consequences and only remember the people. I don't know. Super it's weird, annoying. it's annoying, and it happened. <laughs> you know what it feels like to me? Like, Rick was writing this book, and he was like, man, like, I really just need to fill it up. And his editor was like, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. And then he tried to please his editor, and he tried to please himself, and it just ended up like this. I feel like, okay, so I think he had a list of things that needed to happen to Percy. Like, and emotional development, character development-wise, and maybe a little bit storyline, like, pushing along. Yeah. But I think mostly these few chapters are more character development and emotional development. Because it's all about whether or not Percy wants to go with his friends. What does that mean for his friends? Like, or what does that mean to him that he would rather go to his, his supposed only, we're just best friends. 
Um, and then also when he go when they go back to Camp Half Blood, I think we we talk a lot more to Clarice. We get a lot more detail of just people. But like, why is that even a choice that we suddenly had to pretend to care about? Because it's so obvious. I don't know. Like I don't. That's what I don't get. Like why? Like why what? Like why they had to go back and develop all these characters? Because then no, like why did he land on Calypso's island only to be faced with this choice. I do think that he had to be sort of put out of action for a few weeks. Why? Because he was so injured. He would have just been crawling around in pain for two weeks doing (laughs) nothing. It would have just been the same thing of him stuck in it. They maybe they would have gotten back to Camp Half Blood somehow, so they could nurse him back to health. But it would have just been that, and then no, there wouldn't be any questions of whether or not. I don't know. I think Rick just needed a place to put him so he could get better. <laughs> and Calypso's Island is there. Like the that the myth of Calypso nursing people back to health is already there. Um, yeah. And then it just adds that extra challenge. And I think it just helps him develop Percy's feelings a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know. It's annoying, but what can you do? Well, nothing now. No. (laughs) Annabeth is in the middle of giving a speech about how Percy Jackson was the bravest friend she ever had. Spots him at the back of the crowd, freaks out. I love that. She's just like mid-sentence. He's He's right there! (laughs) Turns out that Percy was on Calypso's Island for two weeks. Everybody thought he was dead. She starts freaking out at him in front of everybody. Well, no, he just says, oh, I got lost. You got lost? (laughs) Chiron has some common sense, grabs them both, rides them up to the big house. Once there, Percy tells him almost everything except for the fact that it was Calypso's Island where he was stranded and healed. And I think both Chiron and Annabeth know what island he was on. Yeah, because unlike him, they're not stupid and yeah. they know mythology. Yes. So, <laughs> he tells them about... They know about the world they're living in. <laughs> yeah. He tells them about the idea of having a clear-sighted moral lead the way through the labyrinth. And what clear-sighted moral do we know besides Sally? <gasps> Rachel Elizabeth Dare! Ding, ding, ding! We got a winner! But they do say, like, because Annabeth is so against this plan... And she's like, you can't tell a mortal that this is, like, our world exists, blah, 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 blah. And you can sort of tell just by the way that she's attacking this plan. Because Chiron's is like, no, there's precedent for using mortals, like, clear-sighted mortals for this. Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, child of Hermes. What? Uh, <laughs> but, and Annabeth is just like, no, you cannot do this. This is, a, this is the worst plan. I do not. No, do not. Yeah. It, we can't ask a mortal. It's cowardly to ask mm-hmm. a mortal to do our work. And Chiron's sort of like, you're going to have to. And Percy's just like, we have to. And She calls Percy the single most annoying person she has ever met and storms out of the room. <laughs> okay. And Chiron's just like, oh, she's just jealous. I hate, I, I really, I really do hate that. I don't like that. That is another thing that I hate about this. Mm-hmm. Why does he have to pit the girls against each other. That is so cliche. It's so 2008 and it infuriates me. It re- yeah, yeah. The era of girls hating girls over a boy is dead. 
Yeah. And there is no reason for them to hate each other. None. Because Annabeth has literally only met her once and not even really met her. He, she saw her for like 10 seconds and then uh, Rachel ran away. And she just hates her. And Kyron's is like, oh, she's jealous. She's very protective of her friends. That should not mean that she hates all of her friends' friends. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I it's, hate it so much. Yeah. I mean, Percy is jealous of Luke, but at least he has reason to hate he, him. Yeah, he has, uh, because he did. He wasn't always jealous of Luke. Right. He started out like, oh, this is a cool dude. Yeah, they were like friends. Yeah. And only after Luke completely turned on them and tried to <laughs> kill him multiple times did he go, no, Luke is a bad dude, Annabeth, why do you still like him? Yeah. And Rachel, she's only helped them. I think Annabeth might be angry that Percy never really told her about Anna or told her about Rachel, but really there was no reason. Yeah. Um like he was, she was just a girl that he saw in a random place while getting attacked by monsters. Yeah. She never thought that he would see her ever again. Yeah. They interacted for like maybe 30 seconds yeah, and, and she Annabeth saved her life. Annabeth wasn't there at that Annabeth time. wasn't there. Um Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason for Annabeth to hate this, hate Rachel, and it's very annoying. It's very yeah. annoying that this is, it's 2008. It's just a stupid story plot. Yep. And <laughs> what sort of annoys me slash hurt slash hurts me is how much the fandom hates Rachel. Yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the sort of will-they-won't-they they Percy and Rachel thing, but there's no reason to hate her. She's Mm-mm. a cool character. She's awesome. She's always, like, she just helps them. Yeah. And people hate her. Some, like, some people hate her with such passion. Yeah, it, because she, quote-unquote, threatens the Annabeth and Percy shit. But she doesn't. She doesn't. Percy has never thought that way about her, ever. Maybe she has had that feeling toward, maybe she has that feeling towards Percy, but Percy never reciprocates. Yeah. At least in my knowledge, and sure, I haven't read further on, maybe that's something in The Last Olympians that they sort of are like, ooh, does he like her? But I I don't remember that in, at least so far in, up to chapter 13 of Battle of the Labyrinth, there is no hint of any feelings from Percy going to yeah Annabeth, or going to Rachel. If anything, he's like knows that he has some sort of confusing emotions toward Annabeth. Yeah. And does that apply to Rachel, who he has talked to for a total of like two hours, maybe? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. So if anything, I think that he's more frustrated with Rachel in yeah. the interactions that we see than yeah. anything else. He feels really weird about like. She's immortal. I don't. She. He doesn't understand the relationship. Yeah. Like, all right, should I tell her? Should I not tell her? Should I tell some? Not some. And he is like embarrassed because she saved his life. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things going on, and none of it justifies Annabeth's hatred for toward her. And it literally is only because it was 2008, and it was cool to pit girls against each other. It was the only way that you could have two char- two female characters. Yeah. Because, Lord forbid, two girls just get along. Because he also did that, because now that we're talking about that, he also <laughs> does that with Zoe and Talia. Yep. 
They hate each other for no apparent reason. And we don't even get any... Like, there's not really a background for that. Even after Zoe is dead, we don't get any... Yeah, like, Zoe was upset with Talia because she refused to join the Hunters. And that's literally the only hint we get. Yeah. And they do sort of get closer towards the end of... uh, of... When it's too late. Yeah, yeah. (sighs) Yeah. It's... Yeah. (laughs) It makes me really angry, and all I can say is... And I wonder if... There's, there's a little bit between that with Annabeth and Clarice, but there's more of a precedent for that. Clarice is a bully. Mm-hmm. There's reason to yeah, have she's a mean. feud. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird that he just... His, I feel like he's just so... Uh, Rick, Uncle Rick, is very good at female characters, and... Just having storylines that inc- incorporate all of these, like, a, a wide variety of characters. Yeah. And he doesn't often go into the sort of... Ouch. Thing. Yeah. The the 2000s <laughs> stuff. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because it happens. I feel like in the stuff he's writing now, like, that kind of subplot, like, probably doesn't really exist. I hope not. Um, Yeah. Me too. I guess we'll see. We'll see eventually. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, girls, listen up here, friends. It is time to support the other girls in your life. Yeah. If you're not doing that, you're wrong. Yep. You're in the wrong. And if you... (laughs) Like, it, it's just, you can hate on them after you get to know them, but get to know them. Like, like <laughs> if you start to be friends with someone and then she talks behind your back and says mean things and pretends to be a friend to your face and then stabs you in the back, that's one thing. But if she's <laughs> only nice to you and only tries to help you and your best friend who you're flirting with, um... I don't know, have a conversation with her and be like, hey, um, I just wanted you to know, Percy and I have had this sort of, like, flirting thing for a very long time. Could you not get in the way of that? (laughs) Guess what? Rachel would probably be like, sure. I can move on to a ton of different guys in my art class. Like... (laughs) Slimmer pickings in art class. Yeah, she probably can move on from art class. (laughs) But yeah... Oh. But that's, we haven't even gotten to the part where they even meet in this chapter. But so Percy also talks to Clarice, which, and it sort of annoys me that Percy never once uh, mentions that he knows why uh, Chris, Rodriguez, Chris Rodriguez has gone mad. Um, because he knows now. He knows that it was Minus that dr- drove him mad. And I feel like if Chiron knew that this was caused by a ghost and his curse or whatever, Chiron would have new yeah. ways to treat that. And they do not yeah. share that information. I didn't even think about that. I, I almost I sort of wonder if Annabeth might have told them, but it's not like we see that. Yeah, and because we were busy 
getting bored out of our minds with Percy on yeah. Crystal's Island. Um, oh my god, it would have been so cool just for that chapter instead of getting Calypso. We would have gotten Annabeth's perspective of what was happening. And then at the beginning of this chapter, we switched back to Percy's perspective. Yeah. And it's just him sort of doing a one paragraph recap of what happened on Calypso's Island. And then. <laughs> but then everybody would have been like, what happened on Calypso's Island? Who that cares? Good, yeah. It would have been a good mystery. Like, oh, what happened? Yeah. Like, did, did things happen on Calypso's Island? And then he <laughs> dumped a girl? Uh, but no, we get to know. Yeah, because Chiron tells Percy two pieces of bad news. One, Chris Rodriguez is now so ill he's in the infirmary, refusing to eat or drink, and he's just lost the will to live, which is really sad. Yeah. And Quintus has disappeared into the labyrinth, leaving Mrs. O'Leary behind. And Percy is like, wait, he left Mrs. O'Leary? Like... It's like, that seems weird. That seems very weird because... Quintus seems to care a lot about Mrs. O'Leary. Sorry, you don't leave your puppies. Nope. Well, Well, some people do. Some people do. (laughs) Chiron tells Percy to prepare for the morning because he and Annabeth will be heading into Manhattan at dawn. And, oh yeah, you might want to stop by at home and let your mom know that you're not dead. And I love that Percy's Percy's just like, oh, I didn't even think about my mom when I was thinking about Calypso and my positives and negatives of staying and leaving. Your mother. You didn't think about Queen that? Queen Sally. Ugh. You didn't think about Queen Sally one time. Not once. And he's like, how could I have not thought about her? Mm-mm. Well, um, you're dumb. <laughs> Juniper is so worried about Grover, the branches of her tree are turning yellow. Mm-hmm. Poor Juniper. <laughs> that is sad. Before dinner, Percy stops by the arena and plays with Mrs. O'Leary a little bit because she's lonely. Oh. And Clarice arrives a few minutes later and complains that Mrs. O'Leary almost ate her yesterday when she stopped by to try to practice. And Percy apologizes to Clarice about Chris, but Clarice seems somewhat resigned to his fate. And, again, he doesn't mention anything about the fact that he knows what happened to him. But she says, do me a favor, Clarice told me. Yeah, sure, again, you don't know what it is. If you find Daedalus, don't trust him. Don't ask him for help. Just kill him. Because anybody who can make something like the Labyrinth Percy, that person is evil. Plain evil. But she says, yeah, well, sometimes things go wrong. Heroes get hurt, they die, and the monsters just keep coming back. Which I thought was a really good line. Yeah. Because, like, they might be half god, but they're very killable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm wondering, do you think Clarice was ever tempted to join... Luke and Cronus's army. Yeah. Yeah? You think she, like, debated it? I don't think she did. I think she was asked. But I don't think she ever really hesitated for, no, this is my family. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think she would have, like, considered it for, like, a split second. But then, like, I think she has such intense loyalty to Camp Half-Blood that Mm -hmm. it was just, like, not... Yeah, and that doesn't mean that she doesn't have any of that same hatred to the gods because Percy has that those feelings, Annabeth has those feelings, yeah. and Luke just acts on those feelings a lot more than anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, like, I think if if Clarice had the choice she, or or the opportunity, she would have some choice words for the gods. Oh yeah, um, especially Ares. Especially Ares. Uh, Nobody likes Ares. No, even 
Yeah, it might be her father. She can still tell him some things. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, Clarice is just such an interesting character to me. She has developed a lot. Yeah. Because I think when we're first introduced to Clarice, she just seems like that clear character that is going to go to the back, dark side. She is, oh, eventually she will join Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't. And I... And she's still, she's still Clarice. She's still a bit of a bully, but she's not, she's... She's got, like, a soft side to her. She's got a soft side, and the further we get to know her, the more that soft side is coming out. Right. Um, yeah. And she can take care of herself, and she can take care of others. And I think that's her overall goal. She wants to take care of others, and she knows that Luke won't take care of it. (laughs) Yeah. She's not gonna abandon her people mm-hmm. to allow them to be slaughtered by Kronos' army. She might, she she uses the tough love method. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah, in the first, like, even, like, three books, she's, well, I guess we don't see her much in the Titan's Curse, but in the first two books, definitely, like, I could not stand her, and now it's, she's a lot more, like, less one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like after she went on that quest and uh, went on the quest in the Sea of Monsters, mm-hmm. it's like all right, she has some real world experience, um, but she was still pretty much just plain old Clarice bully. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then she she has the this sort of like unknown quest where she it, during the Titan's Curse where she's just missing. Right. Um, we see her for like what one paragraph at the end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I think that that unknown time, she went through a lot of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And we don't really know the details of that, but we can see the results. Yeah. Losing someone, like, changes your whole life. Yeah. And, like, losing Chris this way is awful. Yeah, because this is, like, you've lost someone, but they're still here. Yeah. But not really. Yeah, it's sad. And she does this thing that Annabeth does and talks about Chris as if he had never gone over. And Percy's like, why? <laughs> mm-hmm. I Yeah, and I think that's just, it's hard because it reminds me of, like, whenever there's, like, a civil war or whatever, when it's, like, brothers fight against brothers. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you do have to wonder, like, all right, but there's still family. There's still... Yeah, like, where, what happens to that? Yeah. I feel like there's, like, some bad, weird John Wayne movie where he plays, like, I'm a Confederate guy and my brother is a union. We hate each other, but we love each other. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I might still stab him with a, what's that thing called? Saber? No, the thing on the gun. Bayonet. I might still stab him with a bayonet, but I still love him. <laughs> Now we get to my favorite part of this whole thing. Another dream sequence. Yay. Dream, 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 dream. I am so sick of these dreams. (laughs) If I have to recap another dream sequence, I'm going to throw this book across the room. I think we're going to have to recap another dream sequence. (laughs) Percy dreams about King Minos. Yes. Gotta think of that pronunciation. <laughs> Going to visit King Cocalus. 
who claims that he has solved the other king's riddle, how to thread a stream through a seashell without breaking the shell. Coculus claims that his daughter's tutor solved it, just luring Anne through the shell with some honey. King Minos guesses that it was Daedalus who solved the riddle and offers Coculus gold in return for Daedalus and chains. Coculus' daughter, Aelia, offers to draw a bath for Minos to rest after his long journey. Aelia and her sisters draw Minos a bath and murder him with bronze orb things that mummify him. Daedalus comes into the room, thanks the girls for murdering the ghost king, and disappears into the labyrinth. Boom. Percy's dream shifts to seeing Luke, who is standing in a cavern with another half-blood looking at a map that he quickly discards. He says that they just have to get the thread and that Quintus will come through soon. Stupid Quintus is a spy. Another guy in Greek armor <laughs> comes running up, saying that some of Kronos' army has found a lone demigod wandering around the maze and that they've got him cornered. Wonder who that is. Boom. Percy wakes up in the morning. Okay. Wow. So what happened in that dream? <laughs> Listen again, my friend. <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> in, yeah, so I am sick of these dream sequences. I'm sick of this mystery stuff when we obviously know who it is. He's like, oh, who's the clear-set immortal? It's obviously Rachel. Who else could it be? And then he's like, there's a lone demigod. It's obviously Nico. Who else could it be? Could, there was more than one demigod. Why maybe would there, there would be, be another? Maybe there's another demigod in the labyrinth. Fell in on accident, like the milkman. Why would we care about that person enough for Percy to see it in a dream? Because Luke only needs one more person to join his cause. So if this is a random just demigod, there's and not Nico. Well, even if it was Nico, there's more. <laughs> no matter what. He just needs one more person to join his cause and Cronus can come back in full force. I thought he already got that person. I don't think he has. Oh. But he's still certain, searching for that one last piece. Um, <sighs> Regardless, I'm sick of these dreams. Uh, and so in the dream with Minos and Daedalus, it, Minos dies. Minos is killed by yes. Daedalus's uh, tutoris? Tutees? That can't be right. Two T, a person who is being tutored, the pupil of a tutor. That's weird. Okay, so Minus is killed by Daedalus's two Ts. Let's just say I was right again. I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know why you question me on English stuff. I don't know either. <laughs> but then, like, so then we're we are we just, basically all we learned in this. Is that Minus was killed. Yes. Uh, and Daedalus, after Minus was killed, went and hid in the labyrinth. Which we already knew. There was Yeah, con- considering that Minos is a ghost, he died somehow. <laughs> died somehow. <sighs> but, okay, so in the morning... Percy meets Annabeth and good old Argus at the van after making Charles Beckendorf uncomfortably promise to care for Mrs. O'Leary. <laughs> and Beckendorf's just kind of like, oh, I guess I can keep an eye on her, dude. <laughs> I just imagine him, like, going through, like, the gate of the arena and just, like, throwing giant dog biscuits over <laughs> like, I will not go. come closer. <laughs> Yeah, so while they are in the van, Annabeth tells Percy that she received an iris message from Uridian last night, who tells her that Nico is gone back into the labyrinth. 
Um, Percy tells her what he saw in his dream, and they both agree that Nico is in trouble. Whoop-de-doo. Nico's always in trouble. They visit Queen Sally because they have all the time in the world to sit around and eat blue cookies. Well, is there really a clear deadline for this one? Uh, my impression was that it's as soon as possible. Well, yes, it is as soon as possible. But that doesn't <laughs> mean, that means it's a loose deadline and they can just go wherever they want. They can just sit, you know, in the apartment and eat blue cookies for an hour and a half. Yeah. You already wasted a week, two weeks. I guess. And Luke is still lost in the labyrinth, so yeah, that's true. got some time to kill, I guess. <laughs> Percy promises to talk to Paul Blowfish about what happened at Blowfish. school. Blowfish! And he says that he will even tell Paul the truth about him being a demigod. And I'm like, will Paul believe it? Well, he says, like, the, well, he'll think we're crazy, and Sally's just like, he already thinks we're crazy. <laughs> that's a good man. <laughs> He's still around, but I guess the school has been um, pressuring Paul to kick Percy out. I'm not sure how that's Paul's... Yeah, I wouldn't think that would be Paul's responsibility. Yeah. But, I don't know. I guess the school's like, you got this kid in and he didn't even make it through orientation. (laughs) Maybe it's because uh, the school is trying to kick Percy out and Paul is fighting for Percy. I think that's what it is. Yeah. It's just weirdly worded. (laughs) It is. Uh, yeah. Percy calls Rachel Elizabeth Dare with the phone number that she wrote it wrote on his hand because he inadvertently memorized it. This is something that I think Annabeth would be concerned about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're just staring at your hand, reading the number over and over again. But also he's dyslexic, so that would take some effort. <laughs> Maybe in the studying it solidified in his head. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's the first number that anyone's ever written on his hand, and he's like, whoa, this is like a present to me. (laughs) He's just like impressed. He's like, I'm going to need this at some point. So they arrange a meeting at Times Square where they find Rachel raising money for an arts program by doing a human statue act with her friends. That's weird. Because apparently they're cutting art from schools, and they are raising money for their school's art program or whatever. I honestly doubt that they were cut, raising it for their own schools. Yeah, Our program probably school in different. New York, City. <laughs> New York yeah. public schools because Rachel goes to a private school. <laughs> so they go down the street to this coffee place, and the girls are jerks to each other the whole time. Yep. Like Annabeth is a jerk to Rachel before. Rachel even unfreezes from her statue mode. Yeah, she's like, maybe if we push her over. Yeah. And Rachel calls Annabeth Annabelle. Well, I honestly think that could have been a mistake. (laughs) It could have been. They really only spoke to each other for like 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, Rachel says something about them being demigods, and Annabeth's like, oh, why don't you just shout it out to everyone? So Rachel does. (laughs) Might as well. Which no one's going to really care. It's so really <laughs> annoying, though. And Annabeth is like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so they talk about, like, Ra- Percy explains why they need Rachel. And she, like, very easily agrees to help them. Yeah, she does. She even is just like, so there's a chance I could die? And they're like, yes, there's yeah. a very high chance you could die. We could all die. Yeah. And he, she's just like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. and Percy's like, oh. That's all it took? Yeah. 
So she's, Rachel's like, what are we looking for, you know? And Annabeth tells her that they're looking for the Mark of Daedalus so they can get back into the labyrinth. Um, I only made a note about this because it was weird and the blue hairbrush comes back later. Because <laughs> she just pulls a hairbrush out of her pocket and starts brushing her hair with it. I Was it out of her pocket or out it of her bag? She said, it says she pulled a hairbrush out of her pocket. Maybe it's one of those collapsible hairbrushes. Oh, could be. I don't know. But she has, like, big curly hair, and then also she had silver in her hair. She dresses gold. Gold. So, I could see why she would have a hairbrush on hand if she was all dressed up like that. Yeah. It's just, like... She knew that she... Random. It it is quite random that she just carries her Oh, she's sitting in a booth with a hairbrush in her pocket. I I sort of just always thought it was, like, in a bag. Like, you Uh, know how our... Uh, our friend in high school would just, like, carry around a huge bag and it would have, like, shoes, multiple pairs of shoes, multiple... Bandages. Bandages, socks. 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 A I'm, card game. Forks, spoons. <laughs> Straws. Sporks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably a hairbrush. It wasn't even a big bag, but she carried all of it. <laughs> I'm sure she had a hairbrush in there. Sometimes there's like a whole change of clothes. Yeah. She just liked to be prepared. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if he had said like, oh, she grabbed her bag and like took off, they took off or something. But like, the thing is like their costumes are in the changing room at the Marriott and yet she happens to have a blue hairbrush with her. Doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Maybe it's like her comfort thing. <laughs> Carries it around all the time. I guess. Anyway, she starts brushing the gold dust out of her hair. And she says that they had better follow her back to the Marriott, where she and her friends have their costumes and stuff. Because there is a Greek delta glowing in blue in the basement there. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think Annabeth would be very happy that she... (laughs) Rachel already has a lead. Yeah. (laughs) Annabeth's like... This was a good idea. Gosh darn it. <laughs> but I accidentally listened to the next chapter too. And um, there's definitely like her like still doubting Rachel later. Oh yeah. I'm sure. It's going to be a lot of anger between Annabeth and Rachel, which is annoying. Yep. But now on for- to Oh, oh my god. god. So, for this episode, we're talking about Hephaestus. Good old Hephaestus. So, Hephaestus is a god that we never officially met before this chapter. Like, we've talked about him. We've sort of seen him at at a distance. But we've never introduced to him. Never chit-chatted with Hephaestus. So, he is the son of Hera. um, And going off the more... Believable considering other haremits. Uh she 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 gave birth to him all by her lonesome, no extra seed required. Oh. Um But the problem was that as soon as Hephaestus was born, Hera could see that he did not fit her cookie cutter mold for a family. Uh he had some deformities. And she didn't like the look of him. So she threw him off of Mount Olympus. Um, there are, of course, different versions of this myth. 
Um, some say Zeus is the one who threw him off the mountain. But, as the god himself said in chapter 11, Mother likes telling that version of the story, he grumbled. Makes her seem more likable, doesn't it? Blaming it on my dad. Wait. Blaming it all on my dad. I'm just gonna start over. Mother likes telling that version of the story, he grumbled. Makes her seem more likable, doesn't it? Blame it all on my dad. The truth is, my mother likes families, but she likes a certain kind of families. Perfect families. She took one look at me and, well, I don't fit the image, do I? So Hera wants a Hallmark family. She does. No. Hephaestus is more of a freeform family. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm very pleased with that. <laughs> it took me a second to realize Freeform was a channel, and then I was like, ha Formerly known as ABC Family. Okay. So, after he was cast out of Olympus, Hephaestus, uh, uh, Hephaestus, there's some argument of where he went, but, so some say that the baby god was taken care of by an Oceanid by, named Urinome. Um, and either a titaness named Tethys, who was Eurynome's mother, but others say that it was, uh, Thetis, a Nereid who, uh, you might have heard of because she is the mother of Achilles. So we've talked, we've talked a little bit about her before because I think her father of Achilles did something, but I can't remember off the top of my head right now because... There's been a lot of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 23, baby. <laughs> but, so no matter who cared for the young Hephaestus, it is mostly agreed upon that he was raised on the island of Lemnos. Uh, this is where he learned how to forge metal and invent beautiful, intricate objects, and he soon learned that he could basically make anything art Functional and not, tools, weapons, toys, and of course magical objects. Because being a god, he is good with magic, too. So, like, all of his skills, like, he was able to forge anything out of anything. Like, uh, which was amazeballs. <laughs> so, all of his skills at the forge added with his strength and his apparent fire immunion, immunity, because, like, even in the intense heat of the forges, he wouldn't burn, you know? And his beard is on fire half the time. Yeah, and doesn't mind. Uh, so, all of these combined, he he becomes the greatest of all smiths. Uh, the god of the forge and smiths and stuff. So, Hephaestus eventually made his way back to Olympus, where he married Aphrodite. Both and that was much against his, hers, and his brother's, Ares, dismay. Um, like, I don't think he would have done it on purpose. Um, Didn't he, like, make a chair? Yes. <laughs> so, but the thing is, I think he was trying to get more revenge on Hera than get win the hand of, uh, of, uh, of Aphrodite. So basically he, uh, sent an anonymous gift to Hera and it was a beautiful new throne. But as soon as the queen of the gods sat her royal tush on that throne, uh, 
Chains popped out of the change popped out of the chair and like chained her to the chair and she couldn't move and it was bad and she was so embarrassed and all the gods tried to get the queen free and eventually they were sort of like all right whoever can free the queen will marry the the most eligible goddess and that was Aphrodite because uh, Athena <laughs> because Sports Athena was like it. yeah she was just like. Uh 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 uh, and Artemis was like, "No way, sir." Um, <laughs> and like, yeah, there were goddesses that were like, "I am not eligible." Thank you yeah. very much. And Aphrodite, unfortunately for her, uh, was the most eligible single goddess. And of course, Ares tried to free Hera and then win. Aphrodite's hand, but he didn't know the secret to the chair because it was made by Hephaestus and only right. Hephaestus knew the secret of how to untreat it. So eventually, uh, like, uh, after Ares tried and failed, uh, Hephaestus came in and he was just like, I want, first of all, I want a seat on the, on the Olympian Council. Also, I want an apology for Hera for, like, throwing me off of a clo- off of the mountain. Thanks. That would be nice. And Hera's just like, blah, 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 blah. I don't want you. I don't want you in my family. And <laughs> Zeus is like, um, wifey poo, do you want to sit here forever? Well, no. Okay, then apologize to your son. So eventually, Hera apologized, and her er, <laughs> Hephaestus came up and was like touched like a I don't know. A secret button. A secret button on the chair, and then, like, said a magic word, and then the chains just unraveled themselves and sunk right back into the chair. Sort of like I, I'm picturing in the, what is it, the fi- the fifth Harry Potter when they, when he, see, or no, the fourth, when he goes into the pensive and sees the trial of Barty Crouch, mm. or the trial of the Death Eaters in the chair, the chain, or the chair chains. Yes. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. I know it. (laughs) Don't know what I'm talking about. Watch the movie. Yeah. (laughs) 2019, for God's sake. (sighs) So even before being thrown out, thrown from Olympus, Hephaestus was a hunchback. But when he went bouncing down the mountainside, he injured his foot, which left him with a permanent limp. And with his limp and slightly contorted face and mane of black hair... Hephaestus was quite terrifying to look at. But even though he looked terrifying from the outside, he was relatively nice looking on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) Nicer looking on the inside than Hera, probably. Yes, much. Um, So basically, he was a god known for his good, relatively for for God, a good temper. Uh, he was very faithful to his friends and allies. He was relatively kind and he had a good humor. And I all say this relatively because he still is a god, so yeah. there are moments of just blast them out of sight. <laughs> um, but he, so like he created Artemis's and Artemis and Apollo's bows. He swung the axe that split Zeus's head open in order for Athena to be born. Nice. So he's sort of like the midwife of <laughs> Athena. A little midwifery. But he also created the col- the Colchis bulls that Jason, yeah. as in Jason the Argonauts, and Percy and and 
Tyson and Clarice <laughs> had to defeat. Yes. Um, also, he defeated, or he created both Talos statues. Talos 1, which Jason and the Argonauts had to defeat, uh, and Talos 2, which destroyed Bianca. Sadness. So, Hephaestus is sort of complicated. Like, most myths sort of say, yeah, he's a pretty cool dude. But there's other guys that say, yeah. Well, not as cool. <laughs> he, he invented some stuff that killed a lot of people. I like him. Yeah. He's, <laughs> I, I think he's pretty cool. He's complicated. But he's like, he, he's the god of inventors. So, inventors are complicated beings yeah. because they invent stuff and then it's up to the people who are wielding those inventions of yeah. what they do. Also, he had a very traumatic childhood. <laughs> Did have a very traumatic childhood. He probably also needs to go see a therapist. Yes. <laughs> they, they need to have a family counselor. <laughs> Agreed. So, on to the next god. So, we're talking about Calypso. And I guess sort of she is a titan, but whatever. So, Calypso, as we learn in the chapters, is a daughter of Atlas and Nereus, when the Titan of the Gods fought, or Titans and the Gods fought, Calypso, like I'm sure all of the other children of the Titans, had to choose between their family and a group of young gods that say that everything that she has ever known is wrong. So, sort of a hard choice. All right, do I choose these young upstarts that are saying that I'm complete? I've everything that I've ever known, yeah, is evil, or do I choose my family? And Calypso chose to fight with the Titans, but you gotta really wonder how much she actually fought. <laughs> how much she was just, like, healing people. <laughs> yeah, and how much she was just sort of chilling gardening. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so She's when... making a victory garden. Yeah, she is making a victory <laughs> garden. She is, yep. She's making the food that feeds the army. Yeah. Um... So when the gods defeated the Titans, they all punished they punished all who fought against them, including Calypso. And she basically she had relatively light punishment rather than, I don't know, Atlas, who had to hold up the sky. Yeah. Calypso was banished to her home. So like she was born on this island. This is her home. Oh why Ogigia. Ogigia. So she was she was banished to this island, and she was completely alone, except for occasionally when a god might pass through, might be passing by, they might stop and have a conversation. Uh, uh, Hermes was sort of known most for doing this. Uh, we sort of get a little bit of a glimpse of him at the beginning of this chapter. At least I think it's him. Uh, or beginning of, what, chapter 12? Mm -hmm. Um... And basically, Hermes would stop by and tell her maybe some news of news of the world. But also, her only other visitors would be mortals who were sent by gods, sort of, um, where that who she couldn't help but fall in love with. But they would always have to leave. That was the curse. Sadness. So Calypso's main appearance is something that we may have talked about before. Have you ever have you ever heard of it? Maybe maybe you have. It's called the the Odyssey. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Um. Maybe you maybe you know his main, the main character Odysseus. Is that <laughs> familiar to you? Yeah. Okay. So after we this is goes with the cattle of the sun from the last episode. So after Odysseus was smote out of the water and his smote. men <laughs> smote uh, after eating the cattle of the sun, they were shipwrecked. 
and everybody except for Odysseus drowned. And then Odysseus basically like swam, drifted, whatever, ended up landing on the o- island of Ogygia, where he met Calypso, and Calypso fell in love with him. Uh, he was relatively grizzled by now. He'd been through a lot of stuff. Uh, he'd already been traveling for 13 years, but, uh, <laughs> and he was, he was, by that term, 13 years late to returning <laughs> home. And yeah. he basically had an option. All right, you can stay, basically nurse back to life, or back to health with the beautiful Calypso, or you could go home. And Odysseus was like, I'm going to stay here for a little bit, but he always kept saying, I'm eventually going to go home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. Even when Calypso, like, offered him immortality, like, did all this stuff, he was like, no, I'm going to go home eventually. But... He still stayed there for seven years. 20 years later, he finally comes home. Yeah. So he stayed on the island for seven years. He kept saying, oh, I'm going to go home. But the only thing that really got him to go home was when Hermes arrived on the island and was like, dude, go home. (laughs) So after seven years, oh, wait. Yeah. So after seven years, uh, Odysseus left Calypso on her little lonely island uh, all alone. But according to Hesiod, Calypso actually had two sons with Odysseus. Oh. Uh, Nuthius and Nasius. Nasinos. Nasinos? and Nasinos. I don't know. They're twins and I don't really know much about them. Sounds like nauseous. It does. Weird. Uh, yeah. So she had, I don't know, a depressing, depressing Sounds life. Sounds like it. But on to Bring on the Monsters. Bring on the Monsters. Alright, so the monster we're talking about right now is the Telecahines. The Telecahines, like many Greek myths, have many options for parenthood. They could be the children of the Titans Pontus and Gaia, or the children of Pontus and Thialias. Thalassa. Thalassa. Thala. Yeah. Or <laughs> he could. They could be the child children of Tartarus and Nemesis, or. They were just born of the blood that fell to the earth when Uranus was castrated by Kronos. But basically. So there's a lot of options for parenthood. I sort of enjoy the option of growing born from the blood. That's pretty nasty. It's nasty, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they were were gifted in metallurgy. uh, And they... So they were good with, they were good with a few metals where Hephaestus was good with all of the metals. But they were also, they're known for building the Trident of Poseidon and the Sickle of Kronos. So I think that's what we're, we were getting some hints at during chapter 11. We were getting some hints that they were making something new. Um, for someone bad. Yeah. And it's personally the descrip- the vague description that Percy gives us. It sounds like a sickle. Yep. Um. It's like, it's a six foot long curved thing. I'm like, hmm, wonder what that could be. <laughs> <laughs> Percy. <laughs> um, 
So, Poseidon may have sort of been raised by the Telecahines, along with the Oceania named uh, Caphria, but also, it's a lot of questions of how gods were raised. Maybe they just popped out fully formed. Um, They also had the magical powers, and they were able to shapeshift, mix potions, cause hailstorms, snow, and rain. Wow. So the Telekahines had no specific role in myth, but they really only just were there to cause chaos and mayhem. That's why they were called sea demons, because the, the, the Romans called them demons. Is. No surprise. Yeah. But also Romans called anything that were demons that had any magical powers. Wow. So it could just be that. I don't know. But eventually they were like banished and bad stuff. But whatever. <laughs> banished and bad stuff. Uh, basically they were replaced by the uh, Cyclops because the Telekahines caused a lot of mayhem and caused trouble. They, that was what they liked to do. Um, and Cyclops didn't in the forges at least. They did the job. Uh, yeah. Telekines are complex because there's no specific myth that really talks about something that they did. Mm. Um, it's sort of just known that they, they're troublemakers. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to talk about Typhon. Typhon is the monstrous child of Tartarus and Gaia. Officially, tar- ty- eh. Officially, Typhon was a giant who had the torso of a man, which led up to a neck which was topped with 100 serpent heads. And at least one of those heads had red eyes and screamed fire. And I say screamed because all of the heads were always screaming. <laughs> that Hurrah. sounds terrifying. I know, right? But that's not even the lit. Like, that's not, that's, that's just the start. Because we're going down, like, so we're going to start on the limbs because that's a torso up, normal torso, and then 100 serpent heads. Okay, legs, regular legs other than covered in scales. Also, on his hands, instead of having like five nice little fingers, on each hand he had 100 snakes! <laughs> How big were his hands? <laughs> well, he was a giant. That's true. Um... So, and never forget, never ever forget, he also had wings. So, 100 snakes, or no, 300 snaked person (laughs) is flying at you. Oh my gosh. And he's bigger than your house. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No wonder they were afraid of him. Yeah, Typhon was one of the few beings that the gods feared. There's reason for him to be feared. Um... So according to myth, when Zeus gave birth to Athena without Hera's input, Hera was furious. So Hera went to her mother, Gaia, and asked her to create a god who would be more powerful than Zeus. So Gaia went to her current partner, Typh... Wait. Mm -mm. No, Tartarus. Uh, And... Tartarus? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Guy had some baby with Tartarus. Isn't Tartarus a place? It's also a being. Oh. 
<laughs> so Gaia, yeah, Gaia went to Tartarus, uh, and thus Typhon was born. But, so, we can talk more about Typhon, but I want to talk more about Mount St. Helens! <laughs> okay, really excited about a volcano. Okay, Mount St. Helens was the first volcano that I ever learned about, uh, and I remember being shown, like, a really freaky documentary about the explosion in, I should say explosion, because it, watch a video of this thing. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. The, the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980 is insane. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And I remember watching this in probably, I think, I'm going to say 2004, so what year, were, what school year was that? 2004? I don't know. I don't know either. Whatever. It was, <laughs> I think it was in 2004 because in 2004, Mount St. Helens had some more activity that people were like, oh shit, is Mount St. Oh. Helens going to erupt again? <laughs> she, she's a big one. <laughs> if Mount St. Helens erupts, we're all going to die. <laughs> Okay, so Mount St. Helens is... so excited about this. (laughs) It's a cool thing. (laughs) Volcanoes are terrifying, and it's going to be the way the world ends. (laughs) I thought the world was going to get flooded by all the oceans. Well, it's going to happen because the amount of the volcanoes... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But volcanoes. So Mount St. Helens is an active volcano in this schematic... Skamania. Skamania County in County Washington, which is only 50 miles away from Portland, Oregon, which is crazy. And, like, it's so close. And then it's only 96 miles away from Seattle, Washington, which is... It's so close to all of these things. We're all gonna die. I'm not even close to it. (laughs) (laughs) So it is a stratovolcano, which means that it's the kind of volcano that... Really, personally, I think of when I think volcano because I think Pompeii. And so, so the stratovolcano is the same kind of volcano as Mount Vesuvius. So basically, it spews lava, but not much. Like, it's more of a dripping lava or magma. Wow. Um, but mostly, it spews burning ash. Ash Yikes. is not good. <laughs> um, it swallows and kills everything in its path. That's the explosion of Mount Vesuvius, or the the eruption of Mount Vesuvius that covered Pompeii. This is the same kind of volcano as Mount St. Helens. So the reason you may or not recognize the name Mount St. Helens is because in ni- or because in, on May 18th, 1980, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted, killing 57 people, destroying 250 homes, 47 bridges, 15 miles of railway, 185 miles of highway. It's the most destructive, like it's the, uh, caused the most, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Financial damage. Oh. Like it, it caused the most, that kind of destruction. Like it. Economic. Economic destruction. (laughs) Than any other natural disaster. Um, it's crazy. 
So in the days leading up to uh, the eruption, there was an increase in seismograph activity, which are warning signs for eruption. And there was even an evacuation order for like a few days before the eruption of like the entire area. But because it didn't like erupt after these people have been kicked out of their homes for like they were gone for like two days and nothing had happened. So by the time, like, so two days or whatever it would had passed, people were like, I'm going back home. Nothing's happening. And they went back home. Uh-oh. A lot of people returned home, which is bad. Yeah. And then also there were a lot of scientists on the mount, on, on the volcano studying volcanology and just studying the volcano. Um, there were also, like, crazy. It was bad. Um, uh, one man who is sort of famous for his, uh, death, most, honestly, I think it's sort of just because of his name. Sorry. But, um, he was a 83-year-old man named Harry R. Truman, not the president, Harry S. Truman. That <laughs> causes a lot of confusion. When I googled deaths in, deaths via Mount St. Helen, the first thing that came up was, president died in the <laughs> turn. It's like, no president died. That's funny. It's just Harry R. Trump, Truman, an 83-year-old man who lived in the sort of the erupt, er, eruption zone of the mountain. Um, but he had lived there for 53 years, so when they he got the evacuation notice, he was, yeah. yeah, he was now I'll die on this here mountain. Yeah, and he actually became a little bit of a folk hero during the evacuation area, uh, in the like during that time when people were getting evacuated and people were like, "There's no need for us to get evacuated." He uh, was sort of there, like, "Yeah, I'm gonna stay here," and yeah, he he, he he died. Um, <laughs> there were also scientists on this mountain uh, studying the volcano. There were a few that also died. There was also a journalist who was there, died. Um, Everybody died who was there. <laughs> Well, not everybody. There were there's there's a awesome. I think it's called Minute by Minute on YouTube. If you Google Mount Saint Helens min, Minute by Minute, I watched it yesterday. It's crazy. It's basically just telling story. It's like the people themselves telling the story of how they survived the eruption. Oh wow! It's crazy. There's a family that had a four year old, a baby, and like it, and they had to like walk through the burning ash. They had the baby in a backpack. <laughs> the four-year-old had to walk by herself. And the... Why? I don't know. I was I, I spaced out for a second, and then they explained why she had to walk by herself. And I was like, she's walking by herself! <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so the eruption was triggered by a rock file that fall that then triggered a... Uh, that was, The eruption was triggered by a rock file that was triggered by a 5.1 magnitude earthquake. So an earthquake caused a rock fall that caused a volcanic eruption. <laughs> um, and, the, and the eruption was a lateral eruption, meaning that the explosion came from inside of the mountain instead of on the summit. So instead of exploding from the tippy top of the point, it exploded from the side. Huh. So the eruption caused the summit of the volcano to go from 9,677 feet to 8,363 feet, leaving a one-mile-wide horseshoe-shaped crater. Nearly all life 
for 200 square miles was wiped out. That's... There are <laughs> terrifying photos of the destruction, <laughs> it, the destruction afterwards. It's It's just all gray. There's, like, no trees. It's all gray. What year did this happen? 1980. So after the Mount, the 1980 eruption, Mount St. Helens and other volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest are kept very close eye on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the volcano's location on the Cascade Volcanic Arc, which is a part of the much larger Pacific Ring of Fire, which is a great name. <laughs> the Ring of Fire. Okay. <laughs> but... The, its location means that another eruption is inevitable. Inevitable, It's going to happen. They just don't know when. It could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years from now. It could be next week. Wow. Um, Remind me never to move to Seattle. <laughs> well, the thing is, the ash actually reached as far as Minnesota. What? Yeah. No way. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. The just, like, just destruction... Just, like, the immediate destruction was around 200 miles, like, around. But ash reached Minnesota. Well, if it was, like, blown, mm-hmm. and then it just, like, kept getting caught on the wind, you know? I yeah. Imagine it could it's like when the Icelandic volcanoes blew up a few years ago. And mm. people were, like, all across Europe. I think it was, like, Euro- like, all of Europe had to get flight delays or flight cancellations because, oh, hey, there's yeah. ash in the air. <laughs> Um, Apparently they canceled flights out of O'Hare this morning because of the fog. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Craziness. Um, okay, so the problem is that it's very difficult to uh, predict a volcanic eruption because long-term seismic data is key. But for the 1980 eruption... They had only had seismographs on studying Mount or Mount uh, Saint Helens for or since March, uh, March first, nineteen eighty. It exploded May eighteenth. Yikes! So that's like less than three months of data, and so of course it's like already skewed data. They didn't know what was happening. Right. It's like oh, there's so like, a lot of activity, but is this normal or not? <laughs> yeah. Like, is this just lava stirring, or do we need to? Get the heck out. <laughs> yeah, and then the location of it, it's also close to, it's it's on a lot of the fault lines, so there's already a lot of earthquakes in that region already. Yeah. Um, so just a peak in earthquakes could cause an, uh, an eruption, which is terrifying. Yeah. And the reason I said at the beginning that I th- think I learned about this in 2004 was because in 2004, there was another peak in activity where people were like, oh, no, this is going to explode again. Because there were sort of strange eruptions. Like, there was a lot of activity in 2004, and they didn't know what was happening. Yeah. It's weird. But I do know that my teacher had us watch a really freaky documentary about the 1980 eruption and how then, like, the ecological growth afterwards, after the discretion, but then also the, like, if this happens again, we're all gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're all going to die. Well, if, because it's in a ring of fire, or whatever, it's in that volcanic area, there's a lot of volcanoes around it, so if something big enough happens... A lot of other volcanoes are going to ha- go off. And then 
We'll all end up in New York City. <laughs> we're all gonna die. <laughs> Trying to hide. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, and then not also, if you're familiar Ow. with the <laughs> movie Fantasia 2000, which is a wonderful movie. I love it. I love, I love both of the Fantasia movies. Fantasia movies, but Fantasia 2000 is just like my personal favorite because of the Rhapsody and Rhapsody in Blue. It's just a masterpiece. It's just a beautiful. It's the reason I like American Airlines, even though American Airlines sucks. I've never had an issue on American. I don't know. I, I have no really opinion. <laughs> American I, I don't know. Awesome. <laughs> I always fly American as often as possible. Well, also they use Rhapsody in Blue as their theme song, which is a great song. But in oh. so the last short of Fantasia 2000 is the Firebird Suite, which is about, it, it sort of shows... Um, Basically, sort of like a like a nature type character, like a sort of I don't know a green spirit, sort of taking care of this area, this mountainous area, and then, boom! There's an explosion. There's a volcanic explosion, and then, blah 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 blah. But this, um, and then the ending shot is very much just sort of a a, a shot of Mount Saint Helens a few few years after the explosion. Because they show uh, the uh, recovering of the nature of oh. after this awful destruction, yeah. but the di- like, but like the ex- the crater in the mountain that they show in the animation is basically identical to Mount St Helens crater, and then also, um, I don't know, there's a lot of similarities. If you watch it and then you are at all familiar with the way that Mount St Helens looks, you're like, oh. That's Mount St. Helens. <laughs> gotcha. So, to bring this all back to Percy Jackson. Um, what? You want to go back? We're learning about volcanoes! <laughs> the Imagine that Percy made all of this destruction happen. Yeah. He, ex- he, he exploded. <laughs> Mount St. Helens. No. Yeah. Okay, look at this. He has no regard for human life. Look at this crater. If he had just listened to Annabeth, it never would have happened. Wow. It used to be... It used to be compared to, like, Mount Fuji of the America's Mount Fuji. It looks like if you had a big pile of ice cream and then you took a big scoop out the top. Yeah. It's craziness. (laughs) And what's also amazing is that they have a lot of footage from it because there was a lot of... There was a lot of... uh, Scientists on hand that were taking doc- like footage. Then mm. there was also just tourists. There were people camping in the area around the volcano. <laughs> Yikes! It's craziness. Oh my god! But yeah, and Percy caused it to erupt once more. Percy, what are you doing? Disapprove. But if you want to learn more about Mount St. Helens, there's an awesome Nova documentary that came around out around the 2004 stuff because they mm-hmm. talk a lot about that. But I'm sure there's other stuff out there. Also, that minute-by-minute minute documentary will show. I don't know. It's very hypey. How, uh, how graphic are these things? Not at all. Oh. Because the minute-by-minute minute is just, it's only either showing footage of the mountain exploding or footage of, like, Cool lava. I love oh. lava. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. And then it's just 
then it's just like face on face interviews. So it's like the mm. survivors talking about their experiences. Scary, scary stuff. Yeah. But now on to Quest Query. Which we already talked about all of them. I want to know. <laughs> so what do you think nectar would taste like? Because nectar is like, Percy has nectar when he goes to, or gets to Calypso's Island. And he's just like, oh, it has a chocolatey aftertaste. And we sort of discussed this a little bit in just like, in Lightning Thief, when is it the ambrosia that tastes like whatever your favorite food is? Mm-hmm. Is nectar the same way? I think so, but it's a drink form, so I would think it would taste like your favorite drink. Peppermint mocha. <laughs> Peppermint mocha. <laughs> I was thinking like, yeah, like a perfect temperature tea. Yeah. Like, like ooh, nah. It's not too hot, not too cold. Perfect. Not too sweet. And then you can smell it before you you taste it. Yeah. That's the, that's the kind of thing I want. I want to be able to smell it before my tongue touches it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It should smell good. <laughs> okay. How about this just random thing? If you landed on Calypso's Island, would you stay? Just throw me into an existential crisis, Quinn. <laughs> I mean, probably not. No. Even if she was the love of your life. But you wouldn't know because you wouldn't go back to Earth to... <laughs> I mean, I have a lot here that yeah. I would not want to leave to hang out with some chick on an island forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's a hard... Yeah. It's like when any of these these things, like, oh, would you join the Hunters of Artemis? Would yeah. you join the Amazons? Would you do this? It's hard to say. Yeah. I feel well, like a lot of these things you wouldn't know until the moment. Yeah. It's like, do you forget about everybody after you've been there, you know, for like 2,000 years and mm-hmm. all your friends are dead? Maybe. All <laughs> <laughs> well, my friends are just, dead. I can move on. <laughs> I would rather not stay there forever. Yeah. But it's like the perfect place. It's an island paradise. I think you would get bored after yeah. a while. How would we make this podcast? I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't. You'd but be like, dead. I would think you were dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, what about your dog and your family and stuff, you know? Yeah. Do Does Calypso's Island... Oh, whatever. I'm not going to even try and say the name again. Um, does it allow pets? If her island isn't all dogs, there's no way I'm staying. <laughs> there's no point. Nope. Okay, found another question. So, when they arrive at Hephaestus' forge, um, he immediately find, takes the spider that led them there, disassembles it, reassembles it, and says, Ah, better. What was wrong with it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought that too. <laughs> I was like, what? What? No, what? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Those are like the two big, the two questions I wrote down while reading. Yeah. If you have more questions that we need to discuss, do you? If we said something that terribly offended you, write us a nice email (laughs) saying hello, hello, sir or madam. (laughs) Pretty sure you could just address it to Quinn and Natalie. (laughs) Weirdo. Two 
hoo-hoo at me concern. <laughs> I believe you offended me. In this way. And we would be like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I don't remember saying that. <laughs> That's terrible to say. I shouldn't say any of this. <laughs> yes, we wouldn't react like that. <laughs> do you want to try that again or do you want to leave that i want to leave it oh my god it was terrible we must leave it oh you're so crazy <laughs> but yeah anyway <laughs> follow us on twitter and instagram at floor underscore 600 and tumblr at floor 600 podcast join our patreon at patreon.com slash floor 600 to help us improve this podcast and get some perks you get perks like bonus episodes stickers a private floor 600 group and more and as always rate us and review us on itunes um that helps when you leave us nice notes and thank you for listening thank you and happy holidays <laughs>